0: It's time for the Deuce with Jimmy Chavez on 1620 The Zone. All the headlines you need in 2 minutes or less.
1: In the Big 10 last night, number 18 Indiana knocks off number 24 Rutgers, 66 to 60. Michigan State beats Maryland 63 to 58 tonight in addition to Nebraska and Michigan at 5:30 in Ann Arbor. You have Penn State hosting Wisconsin. In the Big East, number 21, UConn beats the 10th rank Marquette's 87-72. And as we talked about earlier in the show, St. John's blows a late lead. to lose to Butler at Hinkle, 68-66. To Tonight, in addition to Creighton at Seton Hall at 530 on the zone, you have 20th rank Providence hosting struggling Georgetown, and Villanova, fresh off their loss Saturday night at the Chai, hooks up with DePaul in Philly. In the NFL, the Raiders have granted permission to the New Orleans Saints to start talking to quarterback David Carr. In the NBA, Devin Booker returned to the Suns last night after missing a month and a half. who didn't realize it was that long. While rehabbing a groin injury, he suffered during a Christmas night loss to the Nuggets. Booker returned to score 19 points in 26 minutes as the Suns won their third game in a row, beating the now Kyrie Irving-Less Nets 116-112. Speaking of Kyrie... After his first practice with his new team, the Dallas Mavericks, the newly acquired Irving, said he felt really wanted by his new team, a stark contrast to feeling very disrespected at times during his turbulent three and a half season tenure with the Brooklyn Nets. He said he felt very disrespected. Not celebrated, and just tolerated. I'm sure all people who believe the world is round felt the same. The Nets granted Irving's request to be traded by agreeing to a deal on Sunday that sent him to the Mavericks along with Ford Markeith Morris in exchange for guard Spencer Dinwiddie and Ford Dorian Finney-Smith and an unprotected unprotected 2029 first-round pick, as well as two second-rounders and one more trade, Gary's Miami Heat trade center, Dwayne Dedman, and a 2028 20, second round pick, as well as cash considerations to his first team, my San Antonio Spurs. Pretty much what I think of that. Uh, yeah. People remember uh, Dwayne Dedman had that incident uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, Coach Spole and, yeah, threw a massage gun. And Trade deadline tomorrow. I expect, uh, Nick, four hours of uh,
2: NBA trade talk. You know, uh, speaking of trade deadlines, I'm a
0: little bit more uh, this year, a little bit more concerned about the uh, NHL trade deadline—the one Patrick Kane,
2: uh, which will be uh, something to watch. There's yes. already Horvat getting traded the other day it was a monster yep. uh, trade. Uh, congratulations! Before we get to Brandon Vogel, uh, Kip Colony uh, last night over at uh, Scott won his 500th game. Uh, girls basketball coach. Tip of the cap to Kip. He was the
0: girls' basketball coach at Millard West when I was there. Yeah, he was. And he is a fantastic person. I love at, Kip. Was he at Millard West for? Millard South and Millard West. But he was at Millard West for like, what, almost 20 years? Yeah, very long time. In fact, when he. When at, he because I know he's
2: been at Scott for five years. When
0: I saw him, yeah, when I saw him resurface to Scott, I was like, oh my gosh, that's like the end of an
2: era
3: there.
0: But yeah, Kip, great man. I've known him a very long time. That's awesome. Right, here is uh,
2: Brandon Vogel from uh, Hale Varsity. Good Wednesday morning, sir. How are you?
3: I'm doing great. How are you
2: guys? Good. I could not wait to talk to you after what Iowa announced the other day about (laughs) Brian Ferentz's reconstructed uh, contract with some metrics because you are the numbers guy and you have a good eye for offense, and I think we're in agreement that points per game is not necessarily the way to judge if an offense is good or not. So when you hear 25 points per game, not just offensive points, but overall. What was your reaction?
3: <laughs> With no exaggeration, this is my favorite thing to happen so far this off.
2: <laughs> I knew it. I knew but, it would be. Oh, you're
0: such a hater.
3: This is such concentrated levels of Iowaness. I I'm worried it's not safe for non-residents to handle it. Um we might get sick just talking about this. <laughs> but I will I will I will say this. Um, while, well, you know, as we saw on Twitter, the jokes kind of kind of write themselves. To to Iowa's credit here, um, if they average 25 points a game. Like a down Iowa defense might give up 20. They haven't given up more than 20 points a game since, I think, 2015. Um, they're usually in that 14 to 17 points per game allowed range. So if you're going to outscore your opponents by a touchdown on a game-by-game basis, you don't have to worry about them you're going to win nine or 10 year in and year out. I mean, that's just, that's, that's how it works for, for any team. It's all about the interplay of the two. Now, you know, I don't think we needed additional evidence that basically Gary, Gary Bardo works yeah. for Kirk Ferentz. I think that was well established, but this is another big log to, to throw on that fire. And the great thing about it is it'll burn all season long as, as yeah. we're on the, the chase for 25 points is on. It's going to be great.
2: So, so, we we probably have talked about this in the past. If you were consulting Iowa and you said, "Okay, this is my metric for to judge if we have an improved and good offense," what you wouldn't go points per game. Where would you go?
3: Um the the the, bit, the best catch all would probably be you know something like expected points added. You know that's that, that's becoming just the way to measure like how much value are you generating, and I haven't looked at what Iowa's numbers were in there last year in that category. I'm, I'm sure they were quite low, and that's the one I'd really like to bump up because if you get that one up there, you know we we know what Iowa is. They're they're really locked in on those those two other phases of the game. If, you know, you are going to have some years where maybe things go a little awry in the red zone or something, or maybe you don't have quite the kicker Iowa typically does. But for the most part, you don't have to worry about that there, which is a credit to to how Ference has built that. So if you, went, if you went that direction, it's just, okay, how much value are you generating? Because you, you can feel pretty good that the points will follow. And that's not always the case. For, for some programs out there. Nebraska was consistently a team that didn't get as much as it theoretically earned.
0: You know, Brandon, we were tr- we were talking about this yesterday about and maybe it was inevitable that people would find out and they just figured to you know put it out there. But wasn't this one of the distractions that we were talking about when it came to the metrics for Scott Frost to reinstate his old um you know, his old pay scale and his old salary, it, that it would be a constant countdown to, okay, you're two away or you're one away as far as the amount of wins that this is, I mean, everybody is going to be keeping receipts of this thing throughout the season. This becomes a distraction. I mean, do you feel like they they sort of anticipated that there was going to be maybe a, an, an open records request on this thing, or do you think that this was a misstep on Iowa's part?
3: Yeah, I, I did sort of have that reaction. Uh, they should have they should have Fred Hoiberg, these the mutually mm-hmm. agreed yeah. upon. Uh, yeah. Don't write it down. <laughs> <metrics>. <laughs> right. Um, but <clears throat> I, I think they probably had to know that they were going to, to take it on the chin here a little bit. And I guess credit there for just saying, yeah, we're going to do it. Um, because, you know, once you get past the, the Twitter jokes and everything else and all of the stuff I said at the top of this segment, you get right down to it and it's like, yeah, it'll work. Like it, it's a realistic number to hit. Um well, maybe it is. We'll we'll see on that part. And it would get the job done. I, I think that part of it is is undeniable.
2: Hey, as you as you started to dive into Temple and Baylor stuff with Matt Rule and what he wants to do, and and, and, and we're kind of getting an inkling now hearing Marcus Satterfield talk and Matt Rule in what they want to do offensively. Will it be more of what rule did a temple over Baylor or a combo or both, or will it feel more like a big 10 West offense?
3: I, I, I gotta say, you know, it's been interesting. I, I don't know if I have a great feel because looking at, looking at sort of Satterfield's footprint at South Carolina, primarily, um, they weren't all that run heavy. I mean, because that's been the constant drumbeat. It's like, we're going to run the football. We're going to run the football. And, you know, kind of goes to the discussion about points per game in Iowa a little bit. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean you've got to run the ball 66% of the time, which I think Minnesota did in, in 2022. Uh, you can be pretty evenly split. And if you're just running it effectively, um, if you can get done what you feel like you need to get done, then it opens up everything. So I think they're going to be pretty balanced uh, by the time we get to it. It might feel a little bit run heavier. Well, I think it almost definitely will over the past couple of Nebraska seasons. Um, but I kind of go back to, to Satterfield, you know, before talking about running football, said, hey, this is going to be a pro-style offense, you know, all the, the huddle talk. That's, that's kind of what I'm expecting to see a little bit. Um, Maybe not quite as wide open as it was at, at Baylor a little bit, but then again, that was one of the yep. stops where where Satterfield wasn't DOC.
2: So, so I, I think we I think we all can agree there's going to be a lot of double tight sets. I don't know that they're going to be going four to five wide, but in terms of what what's your inkling with Jeff Sims and Casey Thompson? how they'll handle the quarterback run game because they definitely need some element of that and Sims of course has given you that element what we've seen at Georgia Tech how much of that do you think they will incorporate
3: yeah, that's that's another piece of it too uh, that that stood out um after you know Satterfield said plainly you got to have a piece of that and and i think that's a little bit of why sims Fims might be here. You got somebody like Logan Smothers who uh, has has the ability to do that um, from the run perspective. Chuba Purdy, in theory, does, but um, it, that's another wrinkle where I'm not quite quite sure how it fits. I mean, I think this type of offense, you know, the too tight uh, pro style kind of approach. I think both Casey Thompson and and Sims, maybe to a slightly lesser degree, are, are capable of doing it that way, but. How do you involve the, the quarterback run game with sort of these very basic strictures that we've had outlined for us so far in, in just one one opportunity with Satterfield? I honestly, I, I don't know a ton because QB run wasn't wasn't a huge huge part of either of the previous two stops.
0: And Brandon, without kind of knowing what. You know, Eric Gilbert will look like, and in what the tight end position is going to look like. I know there's always been talk about just what Satterfield was able to do in the South Carolina offense when they were kind of in the skill position, a little bit more hit with injuries that they had to just kind of utilize multiple tight ends. You know, is it the expectation, and maybe we need to sort of hold off on it that there's going to be this major presence with multiple tight ends in this offense, or I mean, do you feel like that is a safe assumption at this point?
3: I mean, I think it's where they want to be. Uh, the question then becomes for, I think, all of us as we head towards spring football is who are those tight ends going to be? Uh, you can look at who you think that you want them to be uh, in terms of talent and athleticism. Uh, Eric Gilbert and, um, <clears throat> you know, it sounds like, uh, well, it doesn't sound like his his measurables are off the charts. Mm-hmm. We know where Thomas Spinoni came in, um, but, you got to see those two guys play consistently. So I think that's still a big wrinkle for me uh, when you look at that tight end room, not a lot of easy answers for, there for me. And uh, one of the things that I feel confident about at, in this staff at this early stage is they're kind of a, they, they strike me as a, we'll, we'll figure out what works. Um, and that seems simple. It, it kind of seems like the job itself, but as we've seen at times at Nebraska and other places, it can be not simple. It can be pretty complicated to just get to a, yeah, you know, you know, this isn't what we want to do in theory, but it's what we can do right now.
2: How much also on that, on that line of thinking, how much do you think that'll also f- factor into their roster construction for 2024 as they go through the big 10 and they realize what works and doesn't work. And, and I know that two new teams are going to join uh, in USC and UCLA, but how much of an impact do you think the first trip around the Big Ten will affect how they approach the offseason for next year in what players they're targeting?
3: I, I think it I think it'll have a pretty big impact. And, you know, every staff when they they come in and, and enter a new conference, they, they do their due, due, due diligence. Uh they look at the studies, the tendencies, but it's just, and I think this is true for any conference, but it, it might even be a little bit more true for the Big Ten. Uh, it's tough. It's tough until you've gone through and, and done it. You know, talk to some of those coaches that were on on Bo Pelini's staff when they made the transition, and uh, they'll tell you how tough it was. And, and I think it's, I think it's that way. I mean, even this last time in Nebraska dropped in from from AAC largely, and. It was probably tougher than than expected. I think if you ask them now, so I'd, I'd expect that to still be the case. You know, it's it's a little bit different with rules, history in the league as a as a player, but it it seems inevitable to me that the learning curve will probably remain pretty steep, no matter how much you try to to flat it out. Uh,
0: real quickly, too, on the recruiting front, you know, with Dylan Riola. And, again, we, we know that this is always going to be top of mind for everybody, especially with winter conditioning, winter workouts, and spring ball coming up. Uh, Dylan Riley, we know, is set to, to be here uh, very soon. You know, is, are, are, you, are you still kind of taking this sort of day-by-day, week-by-week on which way you could see this going for Nebraska? And do you think that the news here recently is – you know a- anything more positive than what we've already discussed when it comes to Dylan Raiola and Nebraska potentially landing him?
3: Yeah, I'm still pretty day by day with that. <laughs> I mean, for Nebraska to even be at that point, to be in the discussion again, mm-hmm. I think is 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 a major a major achievement for this new staff early on. And and I do think I do think they're right there. You know, just looking at it from afar when you look at where he could potentially go, you know, if we're thinking Georgia, go there, probably gonna win a national title in your career based on how things went, yeah. go to USC, might win a Heisman there. Um, and, and then there's Nebraska, which there's obviously a special connection there, but I think it also requires a special kid to to say, you know what, I'm gonna go to, the, I'm gonna take the, the harder road, mm-hmm. go to a place where there's all these connections to to my father, to my uncle, um, and those could all be positive, but when you're just looking at it from decision-making perspective, man, it, it, it seems to stack up a little bit. Of uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to take a, a special kid and a special yeah. pitch to make those those things okay.
2: So on the heels of Nick's question, and we'll get you out of here on this. He, you know what he what what Dylan has said publicly, and I mean last week Georgia was in the lead. This week USC's in the lead. Hey, Nebraska's back in. I mean mm-hmm. you have to ride the roller coaster. Um, but for Nebraska's standpoint and what he has said and just restarting a relationship with this staff and they haven't been able to get onto the field because they won't be able to do that for you know 200 plus days but we know the impact of somebody when they commit there's others that follow if you're Nebraska, if he commits sooner or he commits later, what benefits you more?
3: I think um, I think if you could get him in, if he were to commit to Nebraska, and that and that comes around, you know, maybe around the spring game uh, here in the spring, anyway. That's probably the optimal time. Uh, gives you enough time to kind of ride that wave a little bit. Um, you know, some, each of these these players is different, in how much how involved they want to be in the peer peer to peer recruiting. Uh, but it gives you enough time for that. And you're also not quite so far down your your analysis and evaluation of twenty twenty four prospects that you can't you can't use that um, to your advantage. So I think that the spring timeline is probably what will be the best for for Nebraska and if it ends up being Georgia or USC, well, they're probably not going to have problems uh, recruiting anyway. but they'll probably get a little bit of a bump too. No. Yep. hey, Brandon,
2: we appreciate it. thank you. Have a great week.
3: You too,
2: guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, Georgia has already 10 committed in the class of 24. They're all four stars or greater. And USC is USC with Caleb Williams, who will be the number one pick in next year's draft and another high-profile quarterback that is coming on campus. If, you know, these high, you know this, Nick, uh, these high-profile quarterbacks, these four or five stars, they like to commit early. Yeah. I mean, it's very rare you get to September and October and there are still some big-name quarterbacks that are left on the board but if all of a sudden March 25th happens, and I don't know what's left for Nebraska to show him. I mean, they've they've done all the right things mm-hmm. with the reintroduction of this staff. Yeah, he knows campus, he knows all of Nebraska. So I don't know what's left. Is if all of a sudden he announces that he's going to make a decision on May one. Is that good or bad for Nebraska? I mean, it would almost be, and it's it would be so odd to have a high profile quarterback, the number one quarterback number one player to say, Hey, I'm gonna wait until like end of September. Yeah. But if that was the case, that would bode really well for Nebraska because everything you're saying and saying, Hey, can you feel the juice in the building? And he says yes, you can say, Hey, wait till you see our first month. Right. Okay. So yeah. but but <clears throat> if if he called up today in the middle of the night and said, Hey, Rule, I'm coming to Lincoln, you'd say, Well, you want me to come pick you up? Yeah. Well but I still know what's left for Nebraska when they get him here. I mean Glad they're, they're getting a visit and they're back in the game, and they're a serious player. But, you know, what is left to show him that he has not already seen because he yeah. has been here more times than anywhere else? When was Ar- was Arch Manning? It was right around the spring last year, wasn't it?
0: I, I want to yeah. say it was like March or April, right around that time. Um, yeah, the, the, the recruiting, you know, being able to use that to, you know, branch out where he's recruiting. We've talked about that a lot, too. I, I just found this interesting. So when I, I was looking at some of the the Dylan Raiola, you know, latest, if you will, over the last twenty four hours. You know who's like super in the corner for Nebraska? And it's just funny because they're, you know, they're getting a lot of commentary from the state, from some of our contributors here in the state when it comes to recruiting, is uh the Alabama uh sites. Because obviously they they are rooting for Nebraska to make, to get this done over Georgia. I just I thought it was very funny that I mean they have an entire dedicated article on Dylan Riola and Nebraska being back in the mix with quotes from people that we know uh, talking about you know their feelings on this and it's just so funny that there's that much attention out of a Tuscaloosa site
2: on where Dylan Riola winds up welcome to the SEC it just means more Nick. Mm-hmm. that's true uh here is uh, Andrew Andrew thanks for the call hello
3: hey how you doing guys good Andrew uh, what if Nebraska gets the opportunity at a four-star before Raiola decides his commitment? Do they take it? And does that scare off Rihola? Uh
2: You mean at the quarterback, the quarterback? position? Yeah. Um, I think there's anybody that they have offered that they have pursued, uh, I think is pretty well aware of who their priority is. And so they would wait to see. now. Even if he commits, I think they should take two quarterbacks in this class. Um, But I I think they've let it be known to the quarterbacks they're recruiting that their priority is Dylan Raiola. We like you, but we're after this guy.
3: Do you think that turns off them getting anybody else?
2: Uh, It depends on what kind of a player that is. Do they like competition? Are Are they scared away because they know that guy could be the guy for the next three years? Or do they say, you know what, I want to come to Nebraska. It's the place for me, and I'm there to compete. It just it depends on the prospect that they're recruiting.
3: All righty, all righty. Thanks for the
2: information. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Good to hear your uh, voice. I mean, a lot of these quarterback commitments are going to happen pretty quick. I, w- I would think yeah. that after his visit on March 25th, that we're probably looking at April. Mm-hmm. You know, Danny Kalen at Bellevue West, who, you know, Nebraska's not a leader there, but Nebraska's interested, but, you know, they're probably third in the pecking order. Right. Um, you know, he wants to make a decision here pretty soon. There's a lot of the quarterbacks that are going to either have started or are going to come off uh, the board. But I but just looking at who Nebraska has offered a quarterback and their attention towards them, there's no doubt that Riola is number one yeah. and a big number one. But I don't also get the sense that they're going to be make or break with one guy in this class and that at that position, if they don't get their number one guy on the board, that all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, throw up your do? hands, we're done. Yep, we got to start all over because again. They, they, I think they've – they position themselves well it's just they have to find yeah. the player that you know is okay with hey I get it I mean he would be my number one as well mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still coming yeah and yeah. it's
0: it's all how you present it it's, it's it's a tricky situation but I mean this is again a staff that understands that it can't put all of its eggs in that basket but being able to communicate that with the other prospects that you have that you might have to lean on as well it's it's delicate but I I I, I yeah. think it's it's well if, within
2: their, their capabilities. If you get your recruiting op- operation to a point where one kid does not make or break your class, you're in a good spot. Yep, 100%. You're in a really good spot. All right, uh, Scott Chanley and Kevin Harlan coming up in the last hour of Mornings with Sharp and Hanley on 1620 The Zone.